Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, we are once again visiting the Ruth Ellis Center. Earlier this year, we introduced you to Jerry Peterson, the Executive Director of the Ruth Ellis Center located in Highland Park, Michigan. The center is named after Ruth Ellis, an African-American woman who became widely known as the oldest surviving open lesbian and LGBT rights activist at the age of 100. She died in 2005. The center is a youth social services agency with a mission to provide short-term and long-term residential safe space and supportive services for LGBTQ youth in Detroit and southeastern Michigan. Since incorporating in 1999, the center has offered core services, including its residential housing program, the Second Stories drop-in center, and family group decision-making. Most recently, it added integrated behavioral and primary health care services, allowing the center to take a critical step forward to meet the ever-changing needs of the young people they serve. More than a space and programs, the Ruth Ellis Center is people, a community that includes not only staff, but the youth it serves. Joining Collections by Michelle Brown today are Amara, one of the young people who's been coming to the center for five years, and Pamela E. Alexander, the Deputy Director of Programs at the center. So we're talking today with Amara here at the Ruth Ellis Center in Detroit. She's uh, from Detroit. And Amara, in your own words, who are you? A strong, happy, bubbly individual who likes to smile a lot and laugh. Good. There's nothing wrong with smiling a lot. You know, sometimes I've been someplace and you go and the people are... And you answer them and you just sort of flash that smile and all of a sudden it's so like, you know, sometimes they don't know how to take sometimes it. Sometimes they look lost. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Have you always been that person, that bubbly, smiling, happy person? Yes. Over the years I have become less bubbly and less like smiley, but I'm learning to be happy a lot. Even when stuff is wrong, I'm still happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you make yourself happy again? Like when something starts to get to you? Music, mm-hmm. jamming, mm-hmm. just sitting there chilling. I might just relax, do a meditation count or something. Maybe I'll do something else, which I won't care to mention. But that's about it. I just try to keep the peace and be happy. What kind of music do you like? I like R&B, I like soul, I like jazz, I like 90s music, I like throwback songs, I like a lot of music, I like everything. Who's your favorite artist? Hmm, my favorite artist would have to go to Rihanna. Ah, I like Rihanna too. Yes. I love Rihanna actually, you know, I love Rihanna. What are some of your dreams and goals? My dreams? are to be an activist in my community and to one day be able to be like a nurse, you know, in a health center quite like Ruth Ellis or some other LGBT related nursing type of thing. And I would just really enjoy the rest of my life. If I could just do that for the rest of my life, it would be the easiest job. Who? 
do you inspired you to think about being an activist? I will say Ruth Ellis, once I learned of her, but I came here to the building first and met some amazing people when I came here. And that's what inspired me to be, want to be an activist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, I'm going to move on because, you know, you said that you, you learned about Ruth Ellis after you got here. Before then, had you ever heard of heard her name or anything like I that? I mean, I've only been on the gay scene like five years. Mm -hmm. So, of course, when you first come out, I didn't hear about Ruth Ellis until like five years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I came here and learned that Ruth Ellis was a person. Mm -hmm. And then I learned about Ruth Ellis. I had never heard of Ruth Ellis before. Well, you know, um, I was fortunate, like in the last years of her life, to get to meet her and to know her. And one of the things about Ruth was that she had a smile. I mean, like even when like she was like almost 100 and they were pulling around in a wheelchair, but she had this, this big smile when you said that. And then you said that you knew her uh, you know, that's a connection that you two have, that, that part about being it, you know, seeing things that have all kinds of things that she's seen in her life, but she was able to keep that smile, be happy, she danced, you know, she'd be in a wheelchair, I mean, there would be people, women lined up to dance with her, and she'd just be dancing again, because of that, that joy and that happiness. And when you were talking about how sometimes, you know, you try, it gets away, but then you go back to things to bring you back in there. And then you said, Ruth, that's what I immediately thought of her. Sometimes where some people would go like, oh, and you're in a wheelchair and you can't get around. But, you know, that was just how she got around. And she, she still kept her joy and her happiness. What do you think are some of the challenges that are keeping you, or, or that could keep you, because I don't think anything is going to keep you from reaching your dreams or goals, but what are some of the challenges that you see ahead of you? Um, really, the challenges ahead of me are striking out on my own, being a grown-up, being in the world, that's my only challenge, like being finally by myself, it's a scary feeling mm -hmm. when just yesterday you look back and you was 18 years old and now you're 22 and you're making a life for yourself and you're beginning to come to your own. Nothing is more scarier than that to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's really my challenge. That's my only challenge is like once I get the hang of just doing for myself, like always, you know, just me all alone, handling my business and stuff, then I'll go be okay. Well, that's cool. You know, well, you know, there's no finish line. And sometimes I'm still trying to figure out how to handle my business. But um, but that's part of it. I hope that, you know, you, you keep part of that, that youth too, that fun part. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, sometimes it seems to me like, once we think we've got this adult thing down, yeah. we, we try to get rid of, you know, we quit being fun and enjoying life. And a lot of the people I know who, to me, are really happy are the people who still hang on to, you know, have a moment when they're able to do that. So how do you take on some of these challenges when, you know, because I know that some people will look at you and they'll go, well... 22, you're not grown yet, you know, and they still might want to treat you like a child or not recognize you or, or give you that voice as an adult. How mm -hmm. do you take on those challenges to let people know that, hey, I'm here, I'm ready? I do what I want. I make my own way. Mm -hmm. And I remember that nobody take care of me at the end of the day. I can't be sitting up thinking about if this person think I'm grown. The last thing as a grown person that you should be thinking about is if somebody else is grown. Because once you grow, you won't be thinking about that else. You're going to be thinking about you. Mm -hmm. And I say this a lot that maybe like a lot of times people just put so much into worrying about other people. And if they've just put half or maybe like 3% in today's self, they will be a better person. We could just move on to a better day. Mm -hmm. 
But people spend so much time worried about the next person and what they're doing that they never really take the time to sit back and grow up themselves. Mm-hmm. They're so used to gossiping and being messy and talking about this person and going back and telling this person. Do you find that some of the younger people here, do they now sort of like come and, and ask you, like, how you doing that? Or, or how can I get to be at that point that you're doing that? Do you, do you find people coming to you? or? Yes, and it is very, it's weird. It's uh-huh. always weird to me because I just feel like I don't know no answers for real. You know, I just ask questions. I'm very humble about the situation. I'm very, like I said, I'm a very nice person. I'm cool with everybody, so it's just weird. Like, now everybody just be like, oh, you did voices, and oh, you're doing this, and you're doing that, and you're everywhere. And we just can't believe it. And it's just like, huh, can we start talking about this now? Like, can we just forget it? But I understand that it's a part of the trying to do the job that I want to do. You said that you've been out like, you know, in the past five years. So as you were getting ready to make that step, what did you, did you see it? Did you see yourself being where you are now? Or was it just like, okay, I'm going to take this one big step and be out and then see what happens? I, for five years I've been out. Three of those years I spent in the house behind my computer. It's all I have to go out. Uh-huh. Three of those years I've been out, I spent behind my computer on the internet because I had too much of a busy life, high school, being in high school and stuff like that. When I came out two years ago, at first I just thought that the being out would be like, you know, now you know everybody else that's gay. You could go be around people, go be with your friends. But when I took this step, it wasn't as like minor as the first step, like just coming out. Like it was like people gonna start looking up to you. Everybody's gonna start watching you. You have to remember that you have to be professional. You have to remember that you can only say certain things and stuff like that. Like you have to be very careful on how you present yourself. <laughs> it just a lot ran through my mind when I when I took this step. But I think that it was a good choice. Because I'm really enjoying the fact that I get to get out here and spread the word about Ruth Ellis and what they doing and other organizations that invite me over to tell what they doing so they can so we can help my generation so we can continue this and we can take it to the next level for the next generation up under us. You know, often you, you know, I've talked to people and even young people and everything and they say, well, you know, at one point in time I didn't think there was anybody out there like me. Did you feel that? At one point in time, I won't say I didn't feel like it was anybody else out there like me. I never knew there was such thing as like me. Like, I grew up in a house full of girls. Literally. Like, so I never really seen how boys act. For a long time, I was the only child in the whole house. Like, it was me and six other, and six women. Mm-hmm. And... For a long, long time, I just only was around them. So I never really knew the difference between how a boy act and how a girl act. But when I went to school, I realized the difference. But even then, it was already too late because I was a girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really nothing like that they could do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Because yeah, I know, um, you know, to see that, and, and your sounds like, you know, you, you had all these... You had sisters, you had a house full of women. You So did that make it easier? No, actually it made it hard because all the expectations from that first born. Mm-hmm. All the, the, I came from a Christian background. So all of that church dumped it down your throat. Like, mm-hmm. I have been through a lot of things, like a lot, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I will share with you is that the I would say when my family was finished, like when I was just, it's time to go out on your own. When I was threw away, um, it was a rather it, two weeks before I went to college. 
I had just graduated high school. It's two weeks before I went to college. Mama like, no, you gotta go. It's over. You know, slight uh, argument or maybe a disagreement, something like that. And you know, she was serious, and it was time for me to go. And I ended up walking up Plymouth with my with my toe. My friend came, got me, went to college. You know, I haven't always made the right choices. I would say that I haven't always made the best of choices. But something happened in college. I ended up getting arrested. And no charges was pressed or anything like that. But I ended up getting arrested and kicked out of school. And then once I was homeless, when I came from being arrested and I got out of that hotel, once I was homeless and realized I had nowhere to go, something just clicked in my mind like you have to make better decisions it's time for you to not play no more it's time for you to sit down you know and a lot of times i could say that people have the answers to the questions that they ask everybody else when all they gotta do is search themselves when i took this step it made me realize a lot of the decisions that i made were decisions that I made but what I took from those decisions was learning when you repeat the same thing over and over they call that insanity mm-hmm. you're doing the same thing looking for a different result every time and that's insane and I just decided to come from an insane mind to a sane mind and make better choices and put a better step on the future because Nobody really know when it's time to go. What is they going to say about you? And that's what I just take from everything that I do. You know, you're wise. You're, you're strong. And, and you know, like you said, you had hit that point, And then you found that strength mm-hmm. within you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you ever like, yeah, did you know you had it in you all along? I mean, it was times where I was discouraged at times where I didn't feel like I was deserving of some of the things some of the things I've been able to do, and it was times where I just felt like, why me? you know, like what they see in me that's so different, you know, like maybe I wasn't good enough, but no, I can say, what was the question? No, I mean, you know, you had that strength. Did you you see that all along in you? Or? yeah, I always been like a strong person, mhm. But making this decision in my life was pushing it, like pushing everything that I ever, this is the hardest battle I ever had, transitioning from being someone who is, you know, um, what's the, what, how can I say it, um, impulsive and, you know, aggressive at times and mm-hmm. bad attitude to a person who is just like so peaceful and it's very different for me now. Being from a peaceful standpoint, because now that I see a lot of the things that I've been in, it made me look back at the peaceful part of it. Who was the pe- I found the peaceful person in every situation I ever been in. It was always one person that was trying to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, I seen I seen the strip. I knew it was in there, but sometimes you got to you don't always believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so um, so. What brought you here to this center? A group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I started hanging out like two years ago, and it was some drama. I like to go a lot. It was some drama. Mm-hmm. It was, and I came up to the center to get into it, and that's how I knew who Fellas was. I continued to come another couple times, and then I stopped coming for the whole rest of the year. And I came back, I want to say in March, February, and I've been here ever since, mm-hmm. helping where I can, doing what I can. I did the internship, the summer internship here. Um, I started my most eight months ago here. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Moa, primary doctor. Um, I've done a lot of things. I started prep here. I never even knew what prep was until I came mm-hmm. here. You know, Ruth Ellis was a great influence, a great influence, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to go on the record that I thank mm-hmm. each and every person who makes this possible. You know, one of the things you know, often when people think of 
not only Rufella Center, but there's other centers, and they'll go like mm -hmm, like affirmation. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, and and they want to look at young people, and they go, they want to be like, oh, like pity you. you yes, know? but 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 you aren't. I mean, you know, and what would you say to someone? who is out there who wants to come in here and go like, oh, you poor kids, let me do this for you. Um, what would you say to them? It's not about us being disadvantaged or being, as they say, poor kids or mm -hmm. being, we've all got a common thing. We got, everybody have this one thing in common, being discarded. Everybody that comes to Rufellas is not the same. But a lot of us have abandonment issues, whether it be from our families, from our friendship circles, from from the the outer world, period. At the end of the day, Ruth Ellis is a place for us to come together and be at peace. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you fund that? You should want to fund the friendship, the the support, the the funding, you know, you should wanna fund it because of that, not because all oh, these poor kids Think about what you're doing for a community, even the ones that's after us, even kids that you might know. What if it was somebody that you might know? Sometimes you got to put the shoe on the other foot. Mm -hmm. And you know, and if you look at that old poor, like you're talking about, you want to be an activist, you want to be a nurse, all of these things that look at you, you're such potential. And you know, if you come in like with that, like, oh, well, they can't, no, you're saying, you can, you know, what is it, that song said, open the door and you'll do it. You know, you're saying, you know, keep the doors open because you can be all of this. You mm -hmm. know? Um, and how do you want people to know about LGBTQ youth beyond the stereotypes? What do you want them to know about about you and your generation and your friends here beyond all the stereotypes that they might want to what they see in, people, the, in the media about our about my generation what people don't realize is our generation is full of love i do notice that even amongst the violence and the disagreements and the and the this um all the discord around we have a lot of love in our generation. There is a lot of love to give, but all of us have abandonment issues from young parents having young kids and then not knowing how to raise them, not knowing how to be a mother, not knowing how to genuinely love a child, not knowing how to sit down and not and, and grow up for your child. So now you just got two kids running around. So grandma raised you. Mm -hmm. Then then grandma she came from a single mama, so all she know is how to be around. Mm -hmm. Daddy ain't never been there. Like, it's more to the story. They, people portray the stereotypes portray us as animals and people who don't know how to control themselves. A lot of disrespectful, all of that. There was no training behind this, mm -hmm. and I won't say that that's the excuse for all of us. But a lot of us came at a time where what was parents? Mm -hmm. We had grandparents, yeah. We had Big Mama mm -hmm. and Nana. We had them, but what was parents? We mm -hmm. only knew Grandma, Granddad, Nana, Big Mama. We only know them because our parents were so young and still trying to build their life. They was having us at 16. Mm -hmm. Here I am, 22 years old, no children. I'm pretty sure that my mama had to throw all, and it's hard for me to throw it together with no kids, and she had mm -hmm. me and didn't. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't no time for, you know, well, this is what you do. Like, for a long time, I didn't even know what gay was. Like, to be very honest, I didn't know nothing about it. Like, I was just thinking, okay, I'm feeling this. I was. And, okay, let's do it. It's more than just me, I'm sure. And then, as I started to get out into the world, I realized that it wasn't just me. It was a couple, but not a whole bunch. And then when I came to Rufellas, as I got older, I didn't come to Rufellas I was 22 years old. And as, I, well, 21 years old. As I came to Rufellas, I realized that it is a lot more people like me, as opposed to meeting them through social media and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, are you, I know you were in college. Are you going back? Are you back now? January, I'm in college. Good. Where are you going? WC3, downtown. All right. All right. And is, are you taking nursing? Um, I'm thinking about changing my major mm -hmm. because 
I just want to do a business degree first. Mm-hmm. So I can at least have something under my belt before I go for all of this time for nursing. But I'm going to do it all at the same time. Like, do a couple classes for business this semester and next semester. Do a couple classes that count over here. Mm-hmm. You know, just basically just balance it out and going right on the see thing ain't gonna be but yes I am back in school I'm very excited about it so let's say you make it to be a hundred and you're dancing <laughs> you're dancing and all that what would you want your legacy to be for your community you know you talk about being an activist love Peace so, and prosperity. So if we had an Amara Center, what would we see going on in your Amara Center? It would be a, a safe zone for everybody. It would be testing for everybody. It would be vaccinations for everybody. It would be come here and be whoever you want to be. Whatever life you want to live from whatever standpoint you want to be at. It's a million stars in the sky. It's a million different people on this earth. No matter who you are, come here and be peaceful about it. Come here and have a good time where it's judgment-free. I just want everybody to just preach love. Because it's not enough. And people get the the, the just so misconstrued on my generation because we so violent. But we so violent because we discarded it. It's anger. But under all of that, under all of that, once you scrape that rough layer off, I promise you, you go find some love in the generation. You're going to find some leaders in the generation. You're going to find some positivity in the generation. Once we get out of that struggle mentality, that's what I like to say. Our struggle mentality, it makes you a savage. We always say that word, savage. Know that this generation is made up of savages. They could be mean or nice. It's like... If you if if more times in our lives it was happiness and peace and tranquility, we would never know what anger and discord was. If we never experienced covenant or being jealous or not minding our business or just overstepping our boundaries in other people's lives and not learning how to just mind ours and be in our own bubbles. I bet you the world will go like perfect because everybody will be worried about what's best for them and in returning you thinking what's best for you that's being what's best for the community because you're trying to figure out what's going to make you better and I'm sure it'll spread to the things that surround you and make that better everybody will just be making this world much better instead of just tearing it up and getting into it and making all this fuss that's amazing. That is, I mean, I have to tell you, I often tell people, like, at the time when I had to leave home, there wasn't a Ruth Ellis Center. And part of the reason why, one of the early times when I got on the board of Ruth Ellis, was that this kind of place would happen. And now to hear you talk, and to hear you talk about what the future could be, I mean, to me, that's the best thing. Because you always want to think that it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. And just like I always tell people, you know, there is an LGBTQ kid born every day, every minute. And we have to want it to be better for them. And as I listen to you talk and where you're at, you're going to leave your mark where it's going to be better for the next one, the ones right now, like you said, who are looking up to you, asking you, well, how you go do this and all like that. And I think that that is just amazing. You know, I really want to thank you for being Amara. Thank you. And for taking the time to share that with me. Mm-hmm. And I hope to always have you in my life. I hope to keep you too. Okay, well, thank you. We're taking our first break in our conversation with Amara here at the Ruth Ellis Center. When we come back, we'll be joined by longtime community activist and Deputy Director of Programming, Pamela Alexander. You're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown, and we'll be right back.
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we're being joined by Pamela Alexander, who is the Program Director at the Ruth Ellis Center. Uh, Pamela, in your own words, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be involved with the Ruth Ellis Center? Actually, it's Deputy D- Director. Oh, Deputy Director. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, you know what? <laughs> Claim that directorship. <laughs> yeah, I got here about uh, almost three years ago. And I've worked in the human services for about 30 years, and coming here has just truly been a God blessing. I mean, it's been an absolute blessing for me. Um, I enjoy uh, the staff, uh, the young people, uh, the services are continuing to expand, Um, and I think that we do a pretty good job here in reaching out to young people and supporting them along their journey. Well, I know, I mean, I can recall when when it wasn't in this great facility, yeah. um, maybe didn't have all the programs that it does yes. now, but um, what does the Ruth Ellis Center in this expanded facility offer now for young people? Well, there are three main programming uh, components to the Ruth Ellis Center. Number one, we have a residential foster care uh, treatment program for young people who have been placed with child welfare or uh, through juvenile justice. Uh, We have a nine bed uh, residential facility. Uh, We've been licensed for residential services for about 10 years, I believe. And then of course we have second stories, which is upstairs, which is where the young people come and hang out, socialize, network, Get a meal, uh, voguing, Vogue. Uh-huh. Voguing is number uh-huh. one here. And so and we have art programs, dancing. Um, we also have uh, employment coaching. Um, we have a youth advisory board. Let's see, we have uh, a variety of support services that do, I believe, help the young people. And then, of course, the Health and Wellness Center. Mm-hmm. The Health and Wellness Center, by far, is the epicenter of what's happening at the Ruth Ellis Center. Because anyone that comes here uh, between the ages of 7 and 30 can access the Health and Wellness Center and be provided a variety of services within the LGBT community. Our emphasis, of course, uh, is to uh, provide those medical needs uh, for young people who are could be homeless um, or are having difficulties with their families right now. Um, Some of them come into care and have not actually had a physical in a year or maybe two years. Um, And so we also have access to dental services as well. And um, another side of that is the uh, behavioral health services. So, um, and then of course our family preservation programming, which is family group decision making. This is where we uh, work with the young person um, in an effort to help reunite the uh, young person um, with their families, if this is what they're looking to do. And we are also contracted by the state of Michigan to provide those reunification services uh, for Wayne County, Detroit Wayne County. So overall, last count, I think we have about, I don't know, 12, 15 programs, very active, and on a Monday or Wednesday, it gets real busy up in here, because those are the two full days that we have of health um, services downstairs. That's Monday. Yeah, so that Monday and Wednesday, we have the doctor in the house, Dr. Mo, we have a few of the medical staff here from um, Henry Ford, in conjunction with our um, um, uh, medical staff folks here as well. And um, so it's 
and because the director, the youth and families uh, service director is um, the person that runs the health center is Monica Sampson. She is also in charge of the second stories program in upstairs. So it's just one full loop of being able to access young people, young folks accessing the health and wellness services as well being able to go upstairs and get a meal, get a box of food, or we call them backpacks um, of food and any other services that we can provide. And we're always looking to uh, add new services. In fact, what we've began to do is allow the young people, we have a couple of uh, young folks now who are creating, they have concept papers. So the executive director is looking to fund these programs. Um, and they're, they're concepts from the young people. They've got visions, and, and so and we're pretty excited about that. Amara, which programs attracted you here? I know that you said you came up with your friends, but what, what programs sort of like held you here, got your attention? Um, of course, the medical center. Mm -hmm. And of course, in second story, because <laughs> I just get to vote all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And plus, you know, the job consults and you know, it's a lot of stuff that they do mm -hmm. that a lot of people take for granted. Mm -hmm. But I'm very thankful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people wouldn't say, you know, they would be too prideful, but I'm not. Because mm -hmm. if I never came to a village, I'll probably be dead or something. Wow. You know, and I don't know not having access to medical care, mm -hmm. and especially when you're young and you haven't been, mm -hmm. often there's like a fear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I mean, I can recall, like, I'm not going to go to go give me a bunch of pills and not hearing what I want to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially as a young person, mm -hmm. when going into the, to developing that center, did you talk with young people? Did you also talk with the medical staff to, like, get beyond those mm -hmm. fears? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When this, first of all, this, uh, this concept started uh, uh, a lot earlier uh, as far as myself coming aboard, so it was already in the making. Um, so by the time I came aboard, they had already done the research with the young folks, focus groups, surveys, they designed the concept and even the location and what types of services and who they wanted to be served by. You know, because many of the young people were already familiar with Dr. Mo mm -hmm. because she was at mm -hmm. Youthville. Okay, so, you know, bringing her on board was really by design. So the conversations were very fluid and had been occurring for about two years before I got here. So uh, by the time I got here, they had already started the process of gutting this out. Mm -hmm. You know, they had been talking with the young people for weeks and months up until about two years before I got here. Yes. Now, you know, um, when you come in, you know, often, like, young people, it's like, they don't want, you You don't ask for, like, oh, do you have your parents' permission or anything? You don't have to go through all that. You can, is this a place where you can just sort of come in and you get what you need without those restrictions mm -hmm. that in the rest mm -hmm. of the world that you hear? Because I know, like, in some schools, mm -hmm. they won't even let you talk about birth control right, right. or anything, and so that um, I remember if, if you remember the Michigan Women and AIDS mm -hmm. Commission mm -hmm. and we would have to go around the way because the schools you couldn't go in there and talk about HIV you couldn't talk about AIDS you couldn't talk about birth control so we, we would have to have things and invite other people to sort of like slip people the information mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is this the kind of space where no matter what your health need or, or your health challenge you can come in and just sort of talk mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most definitely, most definitely. This is the most comfortable place for anybody. Mm -hmm. Just to be... And it's a blessing to hear you say that. It's it really the most is. comfortable place for anybody. When you could tell by... When, when they put stuff up on the walls and they asking questions, you're going to see so many different colors with across the board. <laughs> you're going to see a little bit of everybody writing everything because they know that Ruth Ellis is going to listen. Mm -hmm. Ruth Ellis was based off us. And Ruvellis is continuing to listen to us mm -hmm. to keep it comfortable for the people that they help. Mm -hmm. So, Pam, you know, you and I, we have a history, mm -hmm. and you've been around. And this young lady said that she wants to be an activist. Really? So, I. Oh, so, what advice 
what you say about being an activist. If that's what, yeah. Okay. Uh, my advice would be <laughs> pick a pick an area. You know, okay. if it's LGBT, okay, if that's what you want to to work in. Um, uh, talk to people. Um, open up to uh, some folks who've already done the work. Define and decide what it is you want to do and how you want to use what I call black privilege. That's being able to go in because of who you are, okay, and being confident and knowing that once you get in the room, all eyes are on you. You have the stage and people are listening to you and you can take the time to spread the word, whatever that passion is, whatever the word is, because you will walk away knowing you made a difference in somebody's life that day. That's what I believe. That's what advoc advocating is all about to me, making a difference, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and that's your truth. Mm -hmm. That's it, you know. And and you know, it's 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 for me, it's about giving. I get my rewards every day, just because I know I'm giving. Okay, and and things come back to me. Uh, ten times, you know. Sometimes it's you know. Am I looking for a miracle? Always. Because I'm, I'm sowing the seeds for those miracles to take place. And you are Ruth Ellis, Ellis's uh, uh, miracle, okay? And we know that you are giving the word out there about the Ruth Ellis Center, letting other young people know. It's safe here. You can come here. If you just don't want to do nothing, you can come here and do nothing. And that's the absolute truth. There's no, mm -hmm. upstairs. There's no. See, there are rules. Well, even with us working down here at the <laughs> admin space, you know, we we kind of hang out and work and hang out and so forth. Uh, the health center, however, is guided by a set of standards and mm -hmm. rules. But upstairs, they define those rules. Mm -hmm. We sit at the table and we listen to what it is that they want to do. There's no particular license upstairs that says the young people have to do it this way, that way. It doesn't exist. So it's framed based on their beliefs, what they feel is a necessity for them, and um, and when it doesn't fit anymore. Because over the past 17 years, things have changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And so we have this new millennial generation who has defined it in a different way as opposed to what was going on 17 years ago. You know, so, And that's what I appreciate about working here. Well, you know, and I think that's a good point because as a program person, mm -hmm. you know, and we got to talk our adulting saying, <laughs> you know, and as you get into adulting, yeah. you know, people want to say that you're supposed to do it this way, that mm -hmm. way, and the other way. Mm -hmm. And how challenging and also how inspiring mm -hmm. is it to you as someone who's been doing this for a bit to have that input or these new ideals sort of like hit you. You know, I'll give you a good example. We have a, uh, uh, a young person upstairs who is uh, who is now uh, a manager. And um, and he came to us uh, when he was just a teenager. So he has been here long enough to be in a, in a, a management position. He recently, over the last few months, I'm talking about Cedric, he, over the past few months, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put him out there, over the past few months he's been talking about this program, this program. And the previous director told him to write it down, because that's what I told her to, to tell him. Mm -hmm. Write it down, put it on paper. And he did. And so with the new director, uh, Monica Sampson, he has been able to take that concept, develop it into a program, put a budget to it, $50,000. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that's a lot of money, okay? And But it's a program that we know would fit very well up there. Absolutely it will. So uh, we decided that we would move forward with it. And we are now looking for funding to support that program. And this was, it came from a young person. I don't know how old Cedric is, maybe. He's in, he's in his 20s, I think. You know, and he's very passionate about this. And we know it will work upstairs. Do you find that your role is the same as an advocacy? Because often we talk about people who want to be, um, they want to be a, an advocate for the black community. They want to be uh, advocate for the LGBT thing. But often what we find is these people are supposed to be our allies mm -hmm. and advocates, mm -hmm. that they get the mic and mm -hmm. they don't want to pass the mic right. to the person who's doing it. Do you find that sometimes that you are only the gatekeeper, but then you open that door so you can pass the mic? Absolutely. Over? I'm just a conduit. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a title. I got degrees. 
I got years of experience, but none of that means anything to me if a young person comes to me and asks me something and I can't provide it. I'm going to get that resource. It doesn't matter, and, and that's just been a philosophy of mine. You know, because if there's a need, my job, but not just my job, my responsibility as a humanitarian is to assist and pave the way for that young person. Because that young person is all of ours, our future, you know. So for me, passing the mic, oh yeah, I don't I don't want I don't I don't need to get in the way of this person's blessing and sometimes lesson. You know, because things aren't always perfect. Things will fall. But it's not about falling down. It's about getting back up and trying it again. So those are the kinds of lessons that they learn upstairs. So in the world outside of Rufellas, because oh, you know, because um, you know, remember when, when we did Detroit Summer, one of the things that we were talking about, youth empowerment, mm -hmm. but often when we would go to a state agency mm -hmm. or city agency and we'd bring the young person in to talk mm -hmm. and they would like go like, They'd look at, at Amara, and then they'd talk to you, you know, because it was like, well, of course, she's just a kid, she can't have anything to do, you have it. Mm -hmm. How do you you deal with that mm -hmm. and or run interference for that? And have you ever been in that position to where you knew you needed to be before this audience and they were shutting the door to you to where do you feel that here you can go and call Pam and say, Pam, I need you to kick that door open so I can walk in there and do that, that conversation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I most definitely feel that way. I feel like anything that I put my mind to, Ruvellis is like 100% behind. I said I wanted to do a radio interview, Ruvellis did it. I said mm -hmm. I wanted to do voices, Ruvellis did it. Mm -hmm. I said I wanted to Vogue, Ruvellis did it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I said I wanted to be on Mons, Ruvellis did it. So, they on the winning streak right now, so I don't really got nothing to complain about. I mean, and really, I mean, yeah. you know, and do you find sometimes that, that when, do you have to say that more than once to them when they go like, well, yeah, okay, but but Pam, and you have to say, no, talk to Amara. Mm -hmm. Do you do you find still, or are you finding that people are starting to acknowledge, recognize, and listen to youth? Yeah, and, and our, our I believe our purpose must be is to grow leaders. We have to be able to grow folks up, you know, because we get them so young here, as young as 12, 13 years of age upstairs, you know, voguing and dancing and, and socializing with their peers. So for me, it really is about making sure that when the door knocks and, and we open it, that we have what those individuals, those young people need in order to you know, whatever whatever it is that they have in mind, and they may not have anything specific in mind, but if we sow enough seeds here, I call them opportunities, okay, mm -hmm. sooner or later something will click, you know, and that's one of the reasons why, even with our peer staff right now, they all were former young people here, just hanging out, growing, and you know, dancing and stuff like that. Now they're all employed here, you know, they're employed here, and, um, and they move about in different areas in the organization. For the most part, I believe that it's it's still a learning-based process for them. Uh, but overall, I think they're growing. I really do. Now, you know, one of the things that, that I like, mm -hmm. I mean, with the dancing with Vogue, I mean, that's arts, mm -hmm. and arts are really relevant. Mm -hmm. But often you'll hear people go, who would, you know, well, you know, they're just hanging out and dancing, mm -hmm. but dance is part of an art form, mm -hmm. and art is revolutionary. Right. How do you reframe that for those who might just be passing by and writing the check and saying, well, we're writing the check, but you know, it's really just a place for them to hang out, but to, under to help them understand that it's that total expression, which includes that artistic expression. Well, for me, it's about building confidence in that young person. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know if you've ever watched the young folks' dads do the voguing, mm -hmm. but th it takes a lot of skill. It takes mm -hmm. intentional, you know, uh, attitude and behavior. When they walk across the room and so forth, there's a, there's a persona there mm -hmm. that they're expressing, showing the world, that's who I am, this is who I am. And with that, building confidence. So when they come to the table, because often enough, 
you know, in our meetings and so forth, you would not think that that's a youth person speaking. That's because being able to learn how to express themselves through dance, through, through conversations with their peers. And uh, so often, young people don't have access to adults who are sitting at the table and who are, are actually listening to them, you know. But here, it's wide open. It always has been since I've been here and many years before. So that expression, absolutely. It builds confidence. It builds a light. I mean, because I've seen more dance. I mean, it's just, they're just so confident in themselves. Mm -hmm. And you take that and you just keep building on it. Building on it. So when they go outside these doors, they can handle themselves. And that's what every adult is supposed to be doing, making sure the next generation is being trained up. Because it's a, it's a, it's a tough world out there. Mm -hmm. It really is. Well, we're going to take our second break in our conversation with Amara and Pamela here at the Rufella Center. You're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown, and we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Fellow Center, and I love what they do here. Mm-hmm. You're, I see you as part of my community, okay? Not only is my LGBT community part of my black community, you are my child because you're part of this black community's child. How do you both feel that the work of Ruth Ellis Commun- Center is being embraced by the African-American community at large, because it seems to me this is a safe place for our children, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you don't have to get all down and, and understand and be all for it, but you should want safety and a place where our children can learn to express themselves, where our children can get medical care, mm-hmm. where our children can be safe. Mm-hmm. You should want that. How do you feel do you feel a part of a lar- at large African American community here in Detroit? Because guess what, Detroit is, a, for the most part, a black city. Yeah. Even though we might not have the power that we we should, how do you feel that, and how do you think it could become more of a part? Or, or excuse me, you already are a part. How do we get that message to them that this is our community? Um, I don't really know, and I'm never at a loss for words. But this this question might be a little hard for me. What do you mean when you say that? I think that I would love to see the African American community at large, particularly some of the the institutions, churches, sororities, whatever, that say that they're all, you know, we love everyone and we're all about it, that they should be stepping up and supporting your efforts. Um, They should be, if you're a business, they should be coming in here and saying, hey, we've got jobs. If you've got, you know, if there are foundations that are out there, that here's some money coming from us because I appreciate the money that comes from everyone else. But I was at Voices. I didn't see enough people who look like me. They are supporting you. And that bothers me. Mm -hmm. I think 
that I don't know what what really draws the people of minority in action. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we should maybe it should be benefits and bars and you know things that they could come to and actually get a good show, get a good laugh or talent search or different things. Rebellious needs to I think with more outreach we will reach more people. Especially at Palmer Park because that's just where everybody go. Mm-hmm. And at first I was really against Palmer Park because I just hated there. Mm-hmm. But that's where everybody go. And that's where all like that's where everybody hang out. And sometimes, you know, it could be a very good time. But yeah, I just think that with more functions and more time and people will start to notice. Eyes will begin to open. It'll begin to reach different people because I just feel like people are still in a place where shh, be quiet, don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. We don't need no more problems, no more issues. Trump the president, all of this. I think that it's time to stop being quiet and speak. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to make moves because closed mouths do not get fed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't. Here, here. I could have said that better myself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, often that's what I think. It's sort of like you know. I often tell, I often tell people when my grandmother was sitting back, you know, and she was a young woman, she didn't say, "Well, you know, all my kids are going to be straight, and the next generation there might mm-hmm. be a gay one, and the next one will be all," you know. She didn't say that, you know, and she just said, "We're going to have kids." Mm-hmm. And we're going to love them and be a warm and loving community. Mm-hmm. And every day, like we were talking earlier, every day, every minute, there's an LGBTQ child born. Mm-hmm. And I would like it to where, I mean, that there's always a Ruth Ellis Center where people can go, but not that, that that's where, oh, I have to get to Ruth Ellis Center so I can feel safe and I feel mm-hmm. safe in my community mm-hmm. and as well, mm-hmm. you know? that you're welcome and you're loved and maybe in your classroom mm-hmm. or maybe at your church mm-hmm. they'd say well you know what you should check out Ruth Ellis because you know they have all these programs too mm-hmm. so they know these programs mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. and do you see that as part of your or your job that outreach to make sure that people know that these yeah. great programs exist and that's what we do um, through the marketing department, even in my role as deputy director, we're always out there and we're always talking about the program services that we have here and and what the future is bringing um, to the Ruth Ellis Center. But if I could go back to your question, I, th- I think that that was a good question. And, and I'd like to say that I think some of it centers around uh, black culture, meaning that um, we as African Americans, we tend to take a different approach to how we uh, engage in services and how we provide services um, to to people and to young vulnerable people for sure. Um, overall, for and I'll give you even just a small example. I know the community cares, uh, the the black community, the. the the uh, Detroit black community cares about what's happening here at the Ruth Ellis Center. We've uh, had some renovations here and the building was painted, okay? And that was fine and dandy, but it wasn't until we put those big pots out there with flowers and bushes and stuff that people were, I mean, just driving down the street. It looks gorgeous over there. It really looks nice. And they're just talking about the outside of the building. To be honest with you, I never really thought anybody ever noticed. Mm. But I realized that when there were a few people that actually pulled over their cars, you know, stopped and got out and wanted to come inside just to say, you guys are doing a good job. You're making, you know, things look really great here on this corner. We know a lot of kids come in and out of here. We know this is a safe place for our kids. It was nice to hear, you know, a couple of people say that because, you know, I had never heard it. And just by making those little changes, painting, and, and of course, you know, we had the opportunity to give out brochures about the different services, and we 
have had uh, you know folks walk through and and see the different uh, um, uh, areas in the building and so forth. People are fascinated with the story about the building itself, but the fact that people were really just stopping and waving, looking good. One woman got out and actually took pictures. Hmm. You know because they 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 I think they want to see the young people safe and they want to see this agency um, um, make a difference and that's what we do. So um, we're coming into the homestead end of the year, mm -hmm. um, beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. End of the year people think about giving. Mm -hmm. Beginning of the year they think about taking action yeah. and giving into the next year. If you had your wish list, both of you, mm -hmm. for what, um, if someone who's listening were going like, okay, Rufella Center, mm -hmm. what can I do today and into the future? What would that wish list be? Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. And there's always the ever popular cash check or credit card. <laughs> <laughs> cash check True. or credit, uh, uh, credit card, but get involved. Yeah. Become action oriented, like Mara said. Mm -hmm. You know, be active. You know, if you hear about us doing something here, come out come and support. To it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be you can be straight, gay, whatever. But if you believe in what it is that we're doing, come out. Come out. Mm -hmm. That's all you have to have. Mm -hmm. Come see why you believe so hard. That's right. Come give you mm -hmm. more reason to believe. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's just if if you have belief. We can produce so much for you. Yes, we can get these kids out of the streets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we had more believers, we could get these kids out of the streets. Kids younger than me in the streets every night, struggling. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing. This, this is why I do what I do, because so many times I walk past people way younger than me, struggling way worse. And that's what pushes me, because if I can make it, I can show them that they can make it. Just as soon as I can figure it out, mm -hmm. I'll go let you know. That's what everybody knows about Amara. It just as soon as I know something, everybody go know it. <laughs> and sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's a bad thing. But I think it's a good thing all the time, because I one thing I will never tell you is a lie. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll tell you. There was a woman who was gay, mm -hmm. who took her home mm -hmm. and made it a space yes. where people could be safe, who worked and had a business, and what she learned she shared. Mm -hmm. That story mm -hmm. is a story of Rufala. That's my story. That's, That's her story. story. Absolutely. That's your story. Absolutely. That is the legacy of Ruth Ellis. And more than a building with her name on it, mm -hmm. it is that nurturing and developing and keeping that spirit mm -hmm. alive. Right. Because the best thing about you and what everyone should know and sometimes life is hard, and sometimes you make mistakes, but you did what you said. You learned from your mistakes, figured out what you could do better, and are making a way. Yeah. And that's the true legacy of the Ruth Ellis Center, of Ruth Ellis, and like I said, something that lives on in each of us and there'll be another one who will come on and she'll hear you and they'll do it and Ruth will forever be with us. So I want to thank both of you for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you. Thank you. And um, encourage everyone to support the Ruth Ellis Center, as they say, with your time, your talent, and your tithes. Um, <laughs> And it is located here on 77 Victor Street, uh, Highland Park, Michigan, 48203. And your phone number is? 313-252-1950. And you know we're all online. And so your web address is? <laughs> www.com.
ruthellacenter.org. Amara, thank you. You're welcome. Pamela, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to thank my guest, Amara and Pamela Alexander from the Ruth Ellis Center, and you for listening to tonight's episode of Collections by Michelle Brown. You can listen to the show each week by following the Collections by Michelle Brown podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. That's all for today. Join me next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.